welcome back to another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I am your host, the Coupon Queen Pen. You know, we love a good book. We all love to curl up with a good book. And sometimes we just want to know what was in the author's head. What was the path they took to get to writing this book? So my next guest, David, is going to tell us all about that. So let's take a moment out and I'll be right back with David. So guys, like I was saying, I have David Richards and guys, he has an amazing book. Yes, I know you're like authors, authors everywhere. Where can I find this book? So David is going to tell us all about himself and everything that he's been through. So David, please introduce yourself to my listeners. Queenpin, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, speak with you and share with your listeners. So David Richards, um, I grew up in most of my life in the US, um, but I was in the military. Uh, I was born into the military. So uh, my dad had just gotten back from Vietnam. Um, and so I knew a military life and that is so different from a civilian life. And you don't think it is, but it really is. And I spent three years in Japan as a kid. Uh, so that hugely shaped who I am. Um, always wanted to be a writer. And, uh, but I, when I went to college, I knew I was going to be in the military because I was on scholarship for the military and kind of following my dad's footsteps because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and then I did that. I did the Marines. I was in the Marines for 15 years, got out, uh, became uh, a veteran working in corporate America, yoga instructor, and then got started on my writing career just a few years ago. So yeah. Okay. 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 We've got to back this up a little bit already. Like, wait, what, 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 and what? Okay. (laughs) So, okay. You were born into a military family. I get it, but okay. You decide to go into the military and you're in the Marines. Yep. You become a yoga instructor. I go from Marine to (laughs) yoga instructor. I mean, like one is like yelling at people and the other one's teaching people how to keep their calm. No, it's, it's funny because it's, well, I think there's a funny side to it, which was, um, I saw an article in sports illustrated about a, I think a defensive back for the Arizona Cardinals who used yoga. This is like a week after I got, I left active duty from the Marines and, uh, I'm like, yoga, huh? football players, that's manly. If he's doing it, like maybe it'll help me stretch before workouts or whatever. And uh, I did my first class and it was like, I really, what, what I know today and people know is a gentle yoga class. So not a lot of exertion, the poses weren't super hard. And I was like, ah, it's okay. Uh, maybe I'll try back. So I came back two days later, to, it was just at a local gym, two days later, different instructor, different style yoga and at one point like we're we're in this pose and I am just drenched in sweat like I'm watching sweat just pour off me and we're trying to do this bind where you like kind of bring your hands together behind your body and I couldn't get it 
And so I'm like trying to do it and I'm not making it. And the instructor comes by and in this really lovely voice, is, she, she bends down, she's like, use your hand towel. And so I grab my hand towel and I wipe my face. And she's like, no, use it to bind your hands. And I'm like, oh. So I put it behind my back and I, I got this bind, but it was like that class, I came out of the class and I'm like, what was that? Like, I have never sweat so much from just doing like basic, from moving. Like you're just moving and suddenly you start sweating. But I think, so that, that's kind of the, the short version, but living in Japan as a kid for three years and being exposed to Eastern philosophy every night and day for three years had a huge influence on me. And I think, so when I got out of the Marines, having never been a civilian and not knowing even kind of what that role was because I always lived on military bases, um, yoga was sort of like this lifeline that just happened to be there. And so I got hooked and a year later I became an instructor. Okay. Okay. Now that makes sense. And I will tell you guys really quickly, I have tried power yoga and I remember the first day I couldn't eat for a whole day. My core was hurting so bad. And you would think that, okay, it's just yoga. Let me tell you something. I was begging people not to tell jokes or anything. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. So I get it. Yeah, it's people don't like it's so funny and it's and it's so interesting because I've seen I've seen it change over the years because I've been an instructor now for 14 years. But early on, I could have a class of like 30 people and there might be two men and it's all other everyone else was women. And it was this thing and like people were just I'm not doing yoga. It's, it's that's for women. It's for ladies. And like you have no idea what you're talking about because yoga is super intense and it's for anyone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's uh, yoga is a lot. So yeah, guys, I'm telling you, gentlemen, try yoga. It, it, it one. Okay. For anyone looking for a date, it's definitely a place to find the lady. Just saying. <laughs> fair two, two, it does help with all of that stuff that you couldn't do before. So, yeah. Well, and for <laughs> me, like, you know, honestly, one of the big things was like I had been in, I'm, I'm using air quotes to say combat. I was part of the initial landing force in Somalia in 1992 with Operation Restore Hope. Like I was one of the first 40 or 50 Marines ashore. And that was like super intense. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Back up. Yeah. Here we go yeah. again. You said 92. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, you guys know which question I'm getting ready to ask. Excuse me, Mr. Richards, how yes. old are you? I'm 52. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that because I've seen pictures of this man and he doesn't look 52. So if anybody is really wondering about that yoga, it's working. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so, so no, but it, so... And it wasn't like Somalia, we were there, I was there as part of a Marine Expeditionary Unit. And basically what we do is you are on, like we were on the Pacific Ocean and we're out there for six months and you're kind of like a police officer on patrol, if you will, like a, a street cop. And we were supposed to go to, like we went to Singapore and then we we're supposed okay. to go to Australia and then up to like Kuwait. And we went to Singapore and then instead of going to Australia, we got diverted to Somalia to begin this you know, helping, helping Somalia recover from this famine and right. Wow. 
thing. And um, like we were told there were gonna be all these armed Somalis to greet it, like it was gonna be like a contested landing when we came ashore. And so like trying to grapple with the idea that someone is gonna, someone you've never seen or met before is just gonna start shooting at you for no reason is huge. Like I, didn't, like I didn't sleep the night before and, and then to get there and it's not, it's surreal because the only thing that's like shooting at you are camera crews from CNN and like all these other television stations that were on the shore. But like for me, I think getting out of always moving, like I lived a conditioned life where we moved every two or three years as a kid. And then I became, that my, became my profession. I moved every two or three years. And now I was kind of getting to a place where I could stop moving and like, what did that mean for me? And that was like, that's why yoga to me was like, it was so sort of not even on my radar. And then I just kind of fell into it. That is awesome. That is awesome. Okay. So we go from yoga. We know you wanted, always wanted to be a writer. Why, why wait? why wait to start writing? What made you say, okay, you know what? I still got to do this yoga thing. Uh, now's the time. Like what made you wait so long? Um, it, well, so it wasn't, it wasn't for lack of trying. I think um, I had like unusual success. And by I mean unusual in high school, I got national recognition for a short story I wrote. And it wasn't like, I didn't put any effort into it. It was just, I had an idea for a story my teacher liked it. It got submitted. It got published in North Carolina, National Classic Magazine. And then like I won poetry contests and stuff. But like, I didn't take myself seriously as a writer. Like I didn't think it was something I could do. I wanted to be like an actor or a rock star or something like that. And, uh, and I knew like I was going to be an English major in college, but I knew the Marine Corps was waiting for me. And I just didn't see writing in a way, it's kind of being compatible with brain because I, I wanted to be a Marine. I mean, that's a completely different, like you were sort of completely changing your life from what you've known. Um, and so I didn't really do anything with writing in the Marine Corps. And then when I got out, I felt like, okay, now I've got a chance. And over the course of, I think probably the first 12 years after I got out, um, I made like three different attempts to write a horror story. And I had these cool ideas because I like Stephen King and I like scary movies. And I'd write about a hundred pages. And then the idea would just sort of fizzle out. And so I'd get dejected. So you just couldn't find your new Castle Rock, huh? Yeah, like I couldn't, like I couldn't, I'm like, oh. And so, <laughs> but that dejection process would last, you know, I'd, I'd finish, like I'd get to a point where like, okay, this is stupid and press delete or whatever. And, and then like six months later, I'd start like, oh man, what could I write about? Like, you know, look at it. And I kind of, the idea would come back and then I'd see something I'm like, oh, I could write this. And so then the inspiration would come again. And, but that was been like nine months. And so I try again, nothing would happen. I get dejected. Um, and I think it was, I was, 2017 like 2016 17 was like a very transformative time for me because I I'd been divorced and was like had, had kind of discovered some things about myself that I didn't like and had sort of addressed some of my own baggage and didn't appreciate like how big a change that was going to be for my life 
but I started getting to law of attraction and um, I, I remember, I think I at least bought a copy of the book, The Secret, when it initially came out, but I don't know if I read it. And then someone uh, for Christmas in 2016, someone gave me a t-shirt that said whiskey and yoga because I like scotch, uh, I like tattoos, Marine, veteran, but yoga instructor too. And so I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. And then I read this book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, who, if you don't know, is like this incredibly insightful person who wrote about the law of attraction in a very detailed way in the early mm -hmm. 1900s. And like in the first or second chapter, he asks, what is your purpose in life? And Queenpin, it was like a, it was like a, I mean, it was like a Mike Tyson punch to the face. Yeah, because that became the moment you had to answer yourself. Yeah, I was like, exactly. It was like purpose. Whoa, my life, like my life has a point to it. Like there's a direction that I could actually go and, and it was going to be fulfilling and but it was also going to be enriching to other people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like just had never occurred to me. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to write a book about finding your purpose in life. And uh, I, st I started writing um, this is January, 2017. I started writing, I wrote about 200 pages from January until April. And right around tax time, I looked at what I'd written. It was all autobiographical. I was like, I was 200 pages in and I'd just gotten to 1992. And so this is like, so this is 2017. I'm like, okay, no one is going to want to read a five or 600 page book about a guy who discovered his life's purpose when he was like in his forties. No one's going to want that. And so I deleted, I'm pretty sure, I, don't, I probably don't have the computer, but I deleted everything I had. I sat down and I wrote a 10 chapter outline for the self-help book about finding your purpose in life. And uh, I started writing and two months later, I had written Whiskey and Yoga. Um, it came out in October of that, of 2017, international bestseller, number one on Amazon for yoga and self-help. And it was, it was super cool, but it was also like, I remember when I went to number one, cause that was like, I did a launch campaign and all this other stuff. And that was super exciting, but like I, I, like it was a cool moment. I had some really old scotch that I opened up to drink to celebrate. And then I knew sort of like that moment was gone. And the, the week after that, I was like, okay, what's next? And this guy that I'd worked with on the launch was like, yeah, you got to have something to back it up. Like you got to have something out. You can't just sell the book. Then you got to like speak or have a workshop or do these things. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do like about that? Right, right. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's kind of the story of of how I got to the point where I could actually write a book. Cause, and, that was, and that was part of the journey itself was the confidence to be like, can I actually write a book and have it be halfway decent and people like it and... And that was like a huge, that was the biggest mountain to climb, honestly, because that, that was a thing that I think it dogged me my entire life was I, I couldn't finish a story that way. In other words, you had your first stop. Yeah. Yep. So, so essentially what you're saying is you had to get like punched in the face almost and brought back and have that one aha moment to actually take the first step you initially thought you wanted to take. Yeah, and I think it was, and I think it was kind of letting go of the expectation that it was going to be a horror story. And because I, I certainly didn't up to that point see myself doing self-help. I was like, I, okay. I, was still, I was still on the horror thing. And then it was just like, you know what? 
I have some momentum. There's some inspiration here. Let's go with that and you know let the horror thing just. And in my second book, I got a, there's a little some scary stuff in the lighthouse that I played with, and I've thought about a sequel. But um, but yeah, no, it was just like go with go with where this feeling is taking you, and and write that book, whatever that book is. So what do you say to people that are kind of stuck? You know, they're stuck on that. My idea has to be this. It has to be that. And like you, they can't get past their first initial, let's say 100 pages. And they've been that way for a while. What do you say to those people? Yeah, I I mean, I think it's a good question, right? Because in one sense, you're like, if I keep pressing, it's going to give. But I think at some point you get to the point where like, I'm pushing in the wrong direction. And for me, that's kind of what the horror to self-help was. Like, you've got some good ideas. You're not ready to tell horror stories yet. Write this story. So I think, you know, it's, it's that idea that if you want a different result, you have to take a different action. And and the biggest thing I've come to appreciate, I've been, I've been listening to, I think, my second or third book of Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, who's done some phenomenal work with, you know, quantum physics and quantum understanding. But, like, you have to change part of your personality. That, that's ultimately what it comes down to. If you, like, if you are hell-bent on, like, if I was hell-bent on being a horror writer, and that was what I was supposed to be at that point, I would have been, because I would have found the success. It wasn't, it wasn't my lack of effort. It was, this isn't meant to happen right now. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to acknowledge is you, 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 you think it's, I gotta, I gotta sort of try harder, I gotta try harder. No, you don't, you just have to take a different path. And, and it, like in the Marine Corps, we used to say, it's easy to be hard, it's hard to be smart. And so it was like, you can be really tough and like continue to grind it out, or you can, you know what, take a different, you know, take a step to the left or a step to the right and look at it from a different angle and come at it from a different approach. Wow. So guys, you hear what he's saying? If you need to change direction, change direction. So how do we get from whiskey and yoga to the lighthouse keeper? Yeah, it's well, so and that it's a it's a great point because so whiskey and yoga self-help, lighthouse keeper fiction. And generally speaking, like you're not supposed to jump genres, like book genres. It's, it's one thing to go from like science fiction to horror, like Stephen King's done that, but it's not a thing to go from like self-help to now fiction. But the idea for The Lighthouse Keeper actually came to me while writing Whiskey and Yoga. And it, again, it comes back to yoga because I would go to my classes. I, I owned, I co-owned a studio with someone very dear to me um, for a few years here in North Carolina, but I was, I was working full time and I was teaching a couple classes on the weekend and like it just kind of got to be too much. And so I kind of backed out of that and I took a little break and I just, I went back to teaching gym yoga, which gym yoga doesn't necessarily pull in all the spiritual aspects of yoga that you might find in a traditional yoga studio. Um, but I still like to come into class sometimes and, hey, you know, get people to think about how they view their life. You know, hey, your life is a movie and you're the director. Are you filming a tragedy? Are you filming a comedy? And so one day I just came and I said, you know, your mind is this giant ocean. And that's where all your memories are. Everyone you've ever known is in that ocean. And your awareness, where you direct your attention, is the lighthouse. And you shine your awareness 
where it goes. And, and we, most of us create patterns in our lives. And so the lighthouse goes a regular pattern every day. Um, and there's some variability, but that was kind of as far as I took it. And I liked the idea. I wrote about it in Whiskey and Yoga. And then I think it was, um, I think it was December of, December always seemed to be a magical time for me for writing ideas, but I was listening to a Hindu monk, a video on YouTube, Don Dapani, who I think used to live in New York. And he was talking about how the same thing, except he just wasn't using the lighthouse analogy, but he said, your, your mind is this vast empty space and your awareness is this ball of light floating over the space and you can move your awareness anywhere you want to. And he said that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the lighthouse. And so I had the idea. And so again, so January of 2019, I started writing Lighthouse Keeper. And I knew I knew I wanted it to be a fiction story because I had I, I, I didn't have the detail of it, but I had the story in my head. I had, okay, basic premise, ocean memories, lighthouse awareness, person figures out, you know, goes on this journey to figure out how to become a lighthouse keeper. Um, so I wrote the book. I think this one took you know four or five months. Uh, I got it to an editor. We met over Fourth of July, and he had some just really. At first, it was like super critical because he said like, "There's a basic flaw with what you've done," and and basically he was kind of saying you're gonna need to write, rewrite everything. And I was just first like it was all ego. It was like, "How dare you? You can't say that to me." Right, right. And then I stepped back. I'm like, oh. Yeah, he's got a good point. And so we even started talking about it on the phone. And by the end of the call, like I had a good direction. I'm like, okay, I can, know, I can know how to do this. And that was good because whiskey and yoga, there wasn't any editing. It was, and I had an editor, but I, I was kind of disenchanted with what they came back with. But this guy took the time, provided feedback, and it made the story so much better. And I think one of the things I wanted to do was because the premise you know, the subtitle for the Lighthouse Keepers is a story of mind mastery because the premise is that you can master your mind if you apply the principles within the book. And so I wanted the protagonists to remind you of that because he was experiencing it in some of the chapters, but I had him start writing a journal at the end of each chapter, which kind of dialogues, here's some of the steps you need to look at or consider because there is there is a process towards mastering your mind. And um, yeah, so it was it was uh, it was a fun story. I felt I think I felt much more confident because it was my sophomore attempt, and um, I was ready to kind of dabble in fiction because I hadn't been able to kind of find that voice in me yet. Um, but yeah, that's that's the, the lighthouse keeper. Wow! Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. But I do have a kind of strange question to ask. Okay. And I think this is one that we don't normally hear. How long between getting that harsh critique and you arguing with your ego did it take you to say, okay, I'm going to change this? Um, I mean, it was during the call. So we had like a 45 minute call on July 4th. I remember because it was like early, because he was, I think he was out in Idaho, like early afternoon for me. And um, like the first 10 or 15 minutes, he just kind of let loose. And I, like, and I, like I, it was, I mean, obviously I was listening to him, but on the inside, I was like, oh, how dare you, I can't believe. And then I kept listening. And at some point I'm like, he's right. Like this is, this is like, 
if you think of Empire Strikes Back and the, like the problem with the story, the way I'd written it was like Yoda never leaves Luke. So like Luke trains with Yoda and then goes to fight Darth Vader. And like, but like my version was Luke trains with Yoda. Yoda takes Luke to face Darth Vader, like watches him and then that's it. And so it was like, you got to change, you got to change that relationship. And so like basically what it was, was I, I took the lighthouse keeper in the book, who's a central figure, went with the, the protagonist on his, Sam, on his journey. And, uh, and it just didn't, it didn't work. And so, um, no, by the end of the call, I was excited because I had the direction. And I think that was the key was if I had left the call without a sense of direction of how to change the story, then I probably would have been like feeling resentful because I would have been like, he just told me it sucked and he didn't help me. And that's what, like, if I go back on my third book, if I need an editor, um, I'll probably go back to that guy because I understood what he said and we got to a place where I'm like, okay, I know how to, I know how to improve the story. Wow. Okay. Okay. That was, that I was, it was a quicker turnaround than I really, really expected. Me too. You know, sometimes when, when we get in our ego, it's, it takes, it can take a few days. It may even take a, a month or so. So I, I, I'm glad that you got the turnaround and you got the result you wanted rather quickly. You know, you bring up a good point because I think even after the call, there was some second guessing and it was like, and it was, and, and that was still fighting with ego a little bit. It was like, well, why can't the story work the way it is? It's such a cool thing. And I put so much time and effort into it. And I had a disciplined writing schedule and, you know, so I was, I was kind of doubting my direction, but then ultimately the, the voice of change in story became stronger. And so I think I just learned to trust that voice through the writing process. That is awesome. That is awesome. So, okay. What can we expect from you in the future? Are we looking at more personal development self-help books? Are we looking at sequels and more fiction, a, a, a whole new fiction? What are we looking for from David Richards? Um, you know, it's so funny because I just, uh, I, wrote, I wrote some people about this yesterday. Obviously with everything that's gone on with the past year with the pandemic, the political upheaval, the social unrest. I mean, it's been, it's been an like a year like no other. And so I had, um, I actually left a relationship and probably like the most authentic relationship of my life in October of 2019. Um, and I knew I had an idea for my third book and it was just this idea, like I looked at some of the stuff that I'd written about in Whiskey and Yoga and about how like people are obsessed with technology and we're not like appreciating the outdoors and all this other stuff. And I was kind of gotten to a place where I said, you know, who we are is more important than what we do. And yet what we do is always shaping who we are. And, um, and so that was like this rough idea I had for a story. And, and then in the meantime, I was finishing like the production on The Lighthouse Keeper, making sure that the, like the cover and the, the layout inside was good. I had actually hired a PR team to um, get me on podcasts and stuff starting in January. And 
Um, and then I was going to go see Jack Canfield. So uh, if you don't know Jack Canfield, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul author, super successful author, 500 million copies worldwide. Right. Um, but he was having a mastermind in Santa Barbara in March of 2020. And, um, and so I wanted to go to that because I had done some smaller mastermind like things, but I hadn't like one, I hadn't invested this kind of money to go spend time with him. And I thought initially I thought when I first signed up for it, like I think in November of 2019, I thought, Oh, I'll get his ideas on the lighthouse keeper. But um, kind of as I went through January and February, I was like, you know what? The Lighthouse Keeper is what it is. Like it's supposed to launch in late March, right around the time of the mastermind. If he, if I send it to him and he's like, it sucks, it needs to be this, it needs to be that, it's too late because the book is already gone. So I just got to focus on this, this other book, which I was calling Being, B-E-I-N-G. I was like, I'm gonna do that and just see what he says. And so I went to the mastermind and this was right when the country was starting to shut down. So, you know, flying from obviously from North Carolina to LA, you think you would be on a, a massive plane full of people and that the massive plane part was right, but there were probably like 30 people on the plane, some people wearing masks, wow. some people not. And so like 17 people were supposed to go to this mastermind, six actually showed up. And um, I told him about the premise of the book. And uh, he gave me some, he gave me some pointers and some advice and, uh, and towards the end of my time, like in the hot seat, you spend 45 minutes in this hot seat. He said, okay, you've got a year. I was like, what does that mean? I got a year. Like he didn't tell anybody else that it was, it was just like a, like I'm not under any deadline. I don't, I don't have a contract for this book or anything. It just, it, it didn't make sense. It was like, okay, whatever. Um, so I got back from LA and started working on the book and I wrote the first chapter and it was like, that was good. It was, it was going to be more self-help. And um, I was proud because like I could tell I'd improved as a writer, even writing right. self-help. Right. But then I wrote the first chapter and I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this. Like, that's not the way I'm going to do this. And so for whatever reason, I put my computer aside. I grabbed a journal and I grabbed two color pens, like a red pen or a green pen and a blue pen. And I just started having almost like this, it was almost like a text conversation, but like I would just write, it was almost like a children's book for adults because I would turn, I would like write like the first page I said a long time ago. And then you flip the page and I said in a galaxy far, far away. And then you flip the page again and it says the earth was in a very different place than it is today. And, wow. and then it, it just became this conversation that you were a part of. And then this other pen, like a, this other pen idea started to come in. And so I would write with that pen. And I, I wrote the first version of the book and I was like, and I had like, I had my mom read it uh, because she lives nearby. And it took her, it was like 110 pages. I wrote it in a weekend, um, but it took you about 15 minutes to read because of, how it was like outlined and she finished it and she's like David this is so heavy like this is really heavy like I, I'm tired and I was like what did I just create like what I because it's simple words but like the premise of the book ultimately I so I rewrote it the next weekend and it started to become this conversation between this voice of unconditional love 
and this voice of conditional love. One voice being about who we are, right? One voice being about what we do. Okay. And, um, and then towards the end of the book, I grabbed a third pen, a third, like a purple pen now. And that pen became like this voice of the two pens together. And it was like this really kind of spiritual, super cool thing that was happening right as the pandemic was starting to roar up. And, and then over the course of the past year, I was just like, what, like, it took me deeper into my faith and that took me deeper into like yoga. And I started to come up with this idea. And I was like, what if I wrote an idea? I like, I had a story for like, okay, I was raised Christian. I grew up, you know, spent some time around Eastern philosophy, certainly Hinduism and its association with yoga. But like, what if I wrote a story about the second coming and like how that would start? And, and it's like, cause it kind of, it's sort of perfect pandemic era storytelling. Right, right. And it was the idea that like Jesus is like eternal, like Jesus is, is king and, and everything that we sort of understand life to be and the universe to be, but he's also like in the figure of a person but the story, the premise of the story is that he is the second coming starts because he brings his mother and father who are now human back together. And they sort of have this awakening where they realize like who they are and that becomes the story for the second coming, so. Wow, so we can expect a lot from you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's been, it's been like, I've, like I said, I've written probably you know, it's interesting because I've done a lot of interviews and people say, what would you tell up and coming writers? And I, I, I know there are people who I've talked to who've said, I won't write unless I know it's going to be perfect. And all that tells me is you're never going to write then because writing is never perfect. Right. Like, it's never going to be perfect. You get it pretty good. And there's a kind of perfection in telling a good story. But like I have written, I've written hundreds of pages that either no longer exist because I deleted them or I've thrown away because like it wasn't about, oh, this story isn't any good. You only realize it kind of after the fact that, oh, I had to write that stuff to get to the point where I can write good stuff. And, um, and it's, like, it's like any art or anything, you just have to keep practicing and you start to learn how to put words together in a really beautiful way. And I think that's kind of what I captured about this story is this, I can make the story feel so human, even though it has such a supernatural vibe to it. And I think that's like, that's the exciting thing is because when I started writing it, like I was so excited sort of, you know, this time last year, because I'd probably written like four or five versions of it. Right. Like, I, but now the story was starting to take some texture to it and I couldn't finish it. And so I started to get upset. And so that kind of brought me on this internal journey. And it, it, it took me back to yoga because I think what I came to realize was a lot of times for men, the hero's journey is external. They look at the world and I'm going to leave my imprint or mark on this world. I'm going to conquer the world. And you can look at it from a business standpoint, from a sports standpoint, but it's, it's this external striving for greatness kind of thing. And I think when you look at, at least my experiences for women, that journey is internal because the path towards wisdom yeah. is internal because yeah. you, know you know it's already inside you. 
And, and so what I've come to appreciate is like women, like feminine energy is so powerful if you just kind of understand like what it is, but it's like, I, I, it's so funny to me, men who are like, well, I'm like manly. I'm so super manly. I'm like, you are 50% your mom. Like you are half your mom. There's not I, even like- You know, the funny thing is, I think we get so stuck in the, in the, I have to be this way because society says I have to be this yeah. way. But like <laughs> you, you put it so perfectly. You are 50% of the opposite sex of your parents. So it's like, if you're a woman- you're 50% your dad. If you're a man, you're 50% your mom. So like, seriously. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's like, it's so, I don't know why that is such an obscene idea to accept for some people, but it is. And like, I, like, i never, I never thought I would do yoga. It wasn't something like I knew it was weird because growing up, I didn't like how much we moved because it's like, this is before the internet. This is before, like, one day, you're my best friend. We've been best friends for four years, and we've gone through, like, grade school together. And next day, I may never see you again because this is 1978, and it doesn't matter how good friends we are, we're moving four hours away. We're not super, like, we're low income, like, military was low income in the early 70s. And so, like, I grew to hate that. I grew to kind of resent my dad, but I had no idea what I was going to do once I graduated college. And so the Marine Corps became kind of my lifeline. And then it was like, okay, now all you're doing is getting paid to do what you hate, which is uproot yourself every two or three years. But I didn't really appreciate that because I was just so accustomed to it. And I would go into, you know, it's funny because I would look at a relationship, you know, if I just met someone and instead of thinking about, oh my God, this person is so cool. We have so much in common. I was thinking, how much time do I have left before I'm going to move across the country? And is it worth investing any time in this relationship and, you know, into wow. it? And so wow. like in some ways, it, like I became, in some ways in relationships, I became super callous because I knew that was going to happen. Like I knew invariably it was going to happen. And even when I got out, I would like, I would leave relationships because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, just not going to work or see these people anymore and I'm used to that so they're gone as far as I'm concerned and obviously the internet changed that but like you you look at that and I think for me yoga was like yoga and tapping into the fact that I am 50% my mom 50% my dad has only made me embrace both parts of me and I think that makes me more of who I am whether you call that a man whether you call that you know whatever but, but I think that was the big right, revelation for me right. is that like, you know, and, and, and to take that even further, like I, I saw this, I saw this super cool thing. I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was basically the idea that if you look at it, it took two people to make you, it took four people to make your parents and you just keep doing that math. Right. And at some point it takes like 500 people to make you. And you're like, well, if the population has only been getting larger, then those 500 people were coming from a smaller population. Like, you know, eventually 300 years ago, there weren't that many people on the planet. So we're all sort of coming from the same people. We just seem to like, we don't, we, we can't seem to grasp that idea that like we're all part of something larger. 
Right, right. Wow. Wow. That is, you know, it's it's kind of trippy to think about because I never even thought about it like that. But you're right. I mean, if it took two people to make us, it took four people to make our parents and it just keeps growing from there. Yeah, it's exponential. It's like 16. Yeah. I'm not a math major, but like when you get to 500 people to make you and that takes you back, I don't know, let's call it 20 generations or whatever the case may be, or if a generation, if it's 500 generations, okay, I know based on everything that I understand about how population growth has occurred over the course of history, there were a lot less people back then. And so right, right, right. Wow. Sort of have to have some original similarities. Like right, right, right. But I want to go back to something you said really quickly. And I want to say this. Now, you know, you talked about people waiting for their writing to be perfect. And I have to agree with that because one of the things I hear is I'm not gonna make a move until. I, it's the perfect timing, you know, the wind is just right, everything's just right, everything's just right. And sometimes you go back and you look at those people and they are still sitting in the same space. They yep. haven't moved, whether it be physically or, you know, literally or, or not, they're, they haven't actually moved because they're wor- waiting on the perfect conditions. Guys, it's not about what's perfect. Yeah, there are times when everything lines up and you've got to, you know, you can walk straight through everything, but there are times when you just got to jump in. You know, it's so true. And I think like that was like when I got frustrated and I mean, it's literally been 12 months when I got frustrated last year because I couldn't, I could no longer finish the book in a weekend. And it was, it was taking me on this journey of okay if you're gonna write a story as beautiful as you think this could be how do you bring it into the real world and how do you make it a part of your world okay so i gotta i gotta look at that how do i do that and 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 so i stepped away from writing for like a few weeks and then i came back to it and it was kind of tentative because i was like i felt in some ways like my writing my own writing hurt me because i was like why can't I, there is no reason that I can like understand that I should not be able to like tell a story. And I think it was because I was wanting to tell the story the way I wanted it to be told instead of the way the story wanted to be told instead, like, instead of really finding what the story was. And, and so I kind of stepped back from that and like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to write. I'm just going to, I'm not going to write. I'm not going to write the story. I'm just going to journal. And what I found was journaling help me find my voice as a writer. And so when I like, I, I literally, you know, arms reach away from eight or nine journals that I've written over the past 12 months. And it's not about, can I use this for the book? It's not about, did I say exactly what I wanted to say on this day? It's about, I captured what I was feeling in any given moment. And as doing that and being honest with myself helped me become a better writer. And so that's like, that's what like, and, and I love writing. I know that sometimes I have this idea and I'm gonna go sit down and I'm gonna see how far I can go with the idea. And then there's times when like, that could be 20 minutes, it could be two hours, it could be 30 seconds. 
And whatever that is, I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. I don't have to like mess with this. And so it's just sort of, for me, the writing process is honoring the process is I need more, like I've written beautiful things. I want to write more beautiful things. I need to allow my life to process that in order for it to happen. And that's part of, I mean, that's honestly what the writing process is, but I think regardless of what your background or what your endeavor is, what your direction is as an entrepreneur or whatever, the same principles apply. You're going to like work on stuff. You're going to get stuck. And at some point you're going to realize I'm stuck because I need to change what I'm focused on to make more progress. Like I can't keep going down, trying to push this boulder uphill. I got to sidestep the boulder, let it rest where it's going to rest and then figure out how I get up the hill. That is awesome. That is awesome. I love your questions. Like you, you, <laughs> Thank no, you. It's, that's like, that's so like, this has been such an enriching dialogue because I'm not saying stuff that I've prepared. Like I haven't planned. I'm like, I know basically what you're going to ask me about and, and coming into it, but your questions have been really super thoughtful. So I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say thank you for one, finding yoga and getting grounded. Um, and to really figuring out your balance, because I think you would have been a whole lot different had you decided to keep forcing the whole horror, horror writing at the time when you needed to change. And a lot of times we don't, we, we will force it until we become great and then try to figure out why essentially sometimes we're not as happy. And even just listening to you, listening to the change, no, it didn't feel good at first to you, but you seem so much more at peace with it. Oh, completely. And I think it's, you know, I love what you said, because a lot of times, certainly for me, that was exactly it. Okay. You tried the whole thing. You had really good ideas. And for whatever reason, you couldn't get it over the finish line. You couldn't even get it to a point where like, you're interested in keeping telling the story. It was like, okay, what does that say about this? It says, this isn't it right now. And to make the shift, like I remember it wasn't even, it wasn't really resignation. I think as much as it was kind of this genuine surprise that I'm gonna write a self-help book. Okay, but like I was, like I I was planning to do Tony Robbins events in 2017. Um, I became a, a life coach in 2017. So like there was this, there was this pull and all it was like writing was just like, listen, like you can be a really great writer, but you're going to learn this way and honor that process, honor there's something bigger that's pulling you. Like that's where all inspiration comes from is somewhere in the ether. We pull out ideas like light bulbs or like sending people to the moon or like phones that have more technology than like all of the people in world war ii had you know capability and like that there's something to it and so you just have to honor that process and it's not that like i think what i was afraid of honestly was the idea of giving up on being a horror writer meant that i was giving up on a dream and i think what i it took it took a lot of maturity for me to allow that to like step away from that and step into okay I'm going to write something else. And, oh, look, I did write something else and it helped people. People came up to me and said, this changed my life. I had a guy who just quit his job because he's making so much more money now doing what he loves. 
And we met for coffee like a month ago. And then two weeks ago, he's like, I did it. I left my really nicely paying job because I'm making way more much money doing what I love and helping other people figure out how to do that too. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And okay, buy into that. There is a process to writing. There's a process to your development, your journey, whatever that process may be. But the more you come to realize you actually, every single person on this planet has a purpose to their life, the more you're going to find out what that purpose is. And that's going to be something that is going to be really satisfying and fulfilling to you spiritually, you know, financially, whatever the case may be. But like that applies to every single person on the planet. It's not just me. That is true. That is true. So David, tell everyone where they can find your amazing books. Uh, so yeah, both Whiskey and Yoga and Lighthouse Keeper are available on Amazon. Um, I'm trying to get on Barnes and Noble and a couple of people have told me that I should do Audible. Um, I've tried the Audible path. I just need to be more patient with it. Um, you can also get them on my website, davidrichardsauthor.com. And then I'm on Instagram at uh, davidrichardsauthor. I think Twitter is davidrichardsa2. Well, guys, as you know, if you missed any of that information, it will definitely be in the show notes. So you won't miss a thing and check out his books. They are available on Amazon, so you can have them when you need them. But Richard, it, David, it has been amazing having you. I loved the, Like I said, such, so good to talk to you. Coupon queen, coupon, would I get it right? No, queen pin. it's okay it's okay okay. um no i'm so grateful that uh we connected so thank you so much for um the time today so guys i hope that you enjoyed this interview with david as much as i did we talked about everything from marines military to yoga and of course the books So, remember, all of David's information will be in the show notes, so you won't miss a thing. And check out his social media so you find out anything else he has coming up. But as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey everyone, it's Angelica from A Little Bit of Everything With Me podcast, and you're listening to CQP Moments with the Coupon Queen pin. Don't forget to like and subscribe and rate her podcast.